0: some interesting beginnings for our Bible studies the last couple of nights, but that's all right. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Let's all stand together and we'll open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the example that is laid out for us in the early church. and As we look into the word of God, the scriptures, the record of all this, Lord, help us to glean truth, understanding, so that we can be as healthy as we possibly can, so the church can be effective today as it was back then. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated and you can pass the offering buckets here at our Green Bay campus. Welcome to those other campuses, Stevens Point, Appleton, those at the home life groups that watch as well. Hello to you and to those who watch us on the internet. All right. We are, it sounds really weird. Is that just me? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hello, hello. Uh, we are in the book of Acts at uh, chapter 13. And We'll pick up from where we left off. Last week we've uh, been reading the uh, start of the church. Uh, Saul is persecuting the church. They scatter everywhere. Eventually Saul becomes converted. Uh, uh, and then, you know, peace comes down for a while on the church. They kind of stabilize. James now, who is the... Uh, Uh, half-brother of Jesus. Uh, In the Gospels, it's very clear that Mary and Joseph had (coughs) uh, several children. uh, From a Catholic perspective, that's anathema. The way they get around it is they say that Joseph probably was married before and those were for his children into the second marriage. A bit of a stretch, I think, but (laughs) uh, I don't think that's the way it worked. But anyway, there were brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters. Uh, James was one of them. And now James, who was not one of the apostles, now rises to be the leader in terms of administrating, like the chief administrator, if you will, of the church, certainly the church based in Jerusalem. The apostles in and of themselves did not get involved in administration. They didn't want to do it in any way, shape, or form. They didn't even want to get in the argument about who got more food than the other bunch. said, get a bunch of people together, you guys decided. They strictly stayed in the role of preaching the gospel and praying and fasting and doing miracles and stuff like that, so it was was a powerful thing. So uh, we read that first epistle of James to the church, which is addressed specifically at the very beginning of James, we read it, to all the Jewish Christians, because at that time, the bulk of uh, believers were Jewish Christians. There had started to become now Uh, non-Jewish people becoming Christians, and they didn't quite get their head around it, but they said, okay, I guess, cool, God's doing something small off to the side here, and they stayed focused. The problem begins that that is what starts exploding like crazy, and we don't know for whatever reason, my guess is probably a certain degree of jealousy started popping up, which we're going to see as we study in Acts here, because of the number of Gentiles that were becoming uh, Christians it became a major issue, but at this point when we read James, it wasn't a major issue. they still thought it was we were kind of a small piece of what was going on. It was primarily Jewish Christians, all right So we go back then and we, and we read what James had to say, encouraging the church. Uh, we went and, and picked it up with Barnabas and Saul, who were now sent off out of Antioch, which is uh, <clears throat> way up here. Jerusalem's down here. So this is the kind of the hub of, uh, you know, Christianity and Judaism, obviously. And then the gospel starts getting spread around, uh, originally all in Jewish outposts. Their, their Jews were everywhere. But then they started spreading beyond that. And uh, so Paul and Barnabas, their headquarters really now is in Antioch. That's where they're hanging out. Jerusalem, and now the Book of Acts really focuses on following Paul. We don't have a real lot of record of what any of the uh, apostles did at all. Uh, you can look historically and dig up things, but in terms of the Scripture, uh, and certainly the Book of Acts, we don't really hear any more from them, or not much anymore from them. Bits and pieces here and there, uh, even in the epistles, and even in the epistles, that, you know, there weren't many of them. John. An apostle wrote, uh, Peter wrote, and beyond that, I don't know who else would have written. Uh, so anyway, uh, the focus of the Christian explosion is actually among Jewish be- or, or non-Jewish believers, which is people like us. And then that comes to a head. We're not there yet. It's just beginning. So anyway, these guys say, you know, things are going great. Let's send Paul and Barnabas. Actually, they didn't think it of themselves. The Bible says the Holy Spirit spoke to them to send them. So they send them off on what we call Paul's first missionary journey. I believe there are three missionary journeys. Uh, the fourth one, basically, he ends up dead, which is pretty much the end of anybody's journey, yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's take a look. We'll pick it up at chapter 13, verse four of the book of Acts. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. That's what we have Here, uh, where are we? Here, the island of Cyprus. So they come down and they sail over here uh, and they run around the island of Cyprus. They travel through the, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, there they arrived at Salamis, that first city. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They'd always start there. John was their helper. John also called Mark. Most people just refer to him as John Mark so you know who the heck we're talking about. Second time it mentions John Mark, we're going to uh, read a third time where we mention John Mark in just a minute it becomes a big deal Because the first major argument between two great men of God Is over John Mark He becomes the problem so we'll, we'll deal with that as we go along So John was their helper as they tra- traveled through the whole island uh, They came to Paphos and there they met a Jewish sorcerer a false prophet named Bar-Jesus Also had another name Elimus which we'll see in a second Anyway, he was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man. He sent for Paul, Barnabas, and Saul uh, because they wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So here Saul, eventually going to start be calling him Paul, is uh, with Barnabas. They're preaching all over this little island and they're just setting the place spiritually on fire. This proconsul hears about this. I want to hear more about it. So Saul, Barnabas come, and they start explaining to this major leader, uh, certainly the leader of this island, and, and uh, proconsul, I'm sure he was part of the whole Roman Empire you know, leadership deal, about Christianity. And this guy, uh, Bar-Jesus, or Elimus, whatever they want to call him, uh, tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Don't listen to these guys. They don't know what they're talking about. And he really gave... Barnabas and Saul a hard time, so Paul finally has up to here with him, Saul, <laughs> at this point. Then Saul, who was called Paul, now we finally can call him Paul. <sighs> All right, so now from here on out, uh, I don't think he's referred to as Saul anymore. Uh, we don't know why he started being called Paul. I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? But anyway, that's what happens. Changes his name to Paul. Saul, who's now called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks straight at Ilamis and said... Now, we don't know if the Holy Spirit told him to say this ahead of time. Sometimes we see that. There's times where, you know, everybody thinks, well, these guys just went around and just did all these things without any foreknowledge because they had such faith. That's really not true because you'll see sometimes where the Holy Spirit will show up, tell them where to go, what to do, and then they went and did it. We don't always know. Sometimes I think it really screams that these guys just did it on the fly. Other times they were in prayer and the Holy Spirit told them to do this so they could really do it with confidence. So we don't know, all we know is what he says. So Paul looks at him and says you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? How does he know this? Because this false prophet and sorcerer had been at work on this island for a very long time causing all kinds of problems and deceiving people. Uh, Now the hand of the Lord is against you And you're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, a mist of darkness comes over him. He gropes around, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Well, you know, Sergius Paulus is watching this. And he's like, wow. so he tells him, the Lord rebukes you, you're going to be blind. Boom, the guy can't see anything. That's impressive. (laughs) All right. So when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord." How can my watch keep dinging when I don't have my phone around? Silence. It must be trying to talk to some of your phones around. Ding, 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 is going nuts. I don't know if you can hear that, but I have the attention span of a fly. Okay, I just shut it off, okay. All right, so moving on. Now from Paphos, Paul and his companion. Now, just as a side note, um, You know, proconsul sees this, and he believes, and he's amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So he becomes a believer. This is no small deal, because he's a major player, and he's part of the whole Roman Empire. So we're getting some major leaders that become Christians. And this thing starts spreading like crazy, the Christian message. And in a little bit, I'm going to show you why I think it was so powerful and why it spread so quickly. But anyway, so from there, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga, Which is here. So they're, you know, the reason they preferred sailing was a lot faster. That was like, you know, jet blue to these guys in that day. They could have gone over land. Uh, And at another time, they do go over land. But if they can get a boat, that's the way to go. This is really fast moving, you know, at a whole five knots. So they're just, whoa, we got there. Whoa, five knots. They got all the way to Perga. So they're preaching now there in... Perga. So, he sails from Perga to to Pamphylia. He sails to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. A very small side statement. Oh, I don't know. He had a doctor's appointment. Who knows? Right? It doesn't sound like a big deal. Apparently, it's a big stinking deal. Because this is the big fight that Paul and Barnabas have in a little bit. Because John apparently weasels out on them. He... Leaves them, he abandons them. Paul said, "Paul is really torqued at this guy." What about forgiveness? We'll get there in a minute, okay? But so he's really mad. This becomes a big issue. So John, who's like, you know, here, this is great, this is great. I want to go back to mom. So he takes off and he goes back and and leaves these guys. Uh, So from Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Now this is a little confusing because this is Antioch where they left. Now they are at Pisidian Antioch. In the Roman Empire, there were several cities named Antioch. This is really the Big Yomama one. There were some more smaller ones, but they still shared the name, just like in America. There's lots of Madisons, lots of decators, lots of water. There's only one Green Bay. So anyway, uh, <laughs> actually, it's great. As small of a town this isn't going to be helpful to people in Appleton and Stevens Point, but as a small of a town as Green Bay is. It's amazing. You can go almost anywhere in the world and you don't have to say what state you're from. It's like Chicago, you know, everywhere else. Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Y'all throw Wisconsin in because I have no idea. As soon as you say Green Bay, everybody knows where it is. Has nothing to do with anything. We're from Green Bay, okay. So uh, so they go to Pisidian Antioch and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down, which is the first thing that he did when they came to uh, Salamis on Cyprus. Everywhere they went, the tradition, the, the formula they would follow is they would go to the Jewish people first and they would start there. And, uh, and it wasn't, uh, after there, that's when it would start spreading out to the uh, non-Jews. And which was fine, again, I think, until this ego thing kicks in, my opinion, but we'll find out here as we go. Uh, so, they go to the synagogue, they sit down. They're just visitors. Now, after the reading from the law and the prophets, you know, the rabbi's up there and he's reading and they're doing their service and stuff, the leaders from the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now, this is the kind of thing that used to happen in churches, you know, even when we were growing up. You know, if you were a a born-again Christian from, at least from the same denomination, you came visiting somewhere, someone say, hey, brother, do you got something you can share or a testimony and stuff like that? We don't do that anymore. Churches are too big and... Lord knows what people would stand up and say nowadays. You know, people are crazy. So, uh, so this was very traditional. And even when we were growing up, they were very open to those, those kinds of things. So it's traditional. Here's a guy. All these guys are from uh, Antioch, you know, and they're Jewish brothers. And, and after this, you know, half so, so far into the service. Uh, friends, why don't you stand up if, if you have a word of encouragement? <laughs> well, that's all Paul needs, right? So he stands up and he starts to give his sermon. We'll read it uh, uh, it's not as painful as Stephen's sermon, if you remember that one. Stephen, when he gave a sermon, like, in painful detail, relived the whole Old Testament. I could hardly stand it. Hay mas latinos aquí. Ah, gracias a Dios. <laughs> Guilt always works, praise God. All right, so. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm terrible. Okay, so. Uh, what am I talking about? Oh, so they stand up, and he starts to preach. Now, apparently, it is, the tradition that when these people would stand up, they would relive the history of the Jews. That was it. You know, Stevens was painful, you know, until he finally got to the point where he started preaching about Jesus and they stoned him to death, okay? So Paul's turn and he stands up and the first thing he does is start reliving the history of the Jews. Now, culturally, that's a big deal to them because of who they are, what they had been through, and they still to this day, I mean, they want to remember their history and stuff like that. A lot of cultures are like that even in the Middle East. Uh, sometimes we read about, you know, why are, why are so many Muslims in certain areas so mad about the Crusades? Who thinks about all the Crusades anymore? They still rehearse it. They do in, in brutal detail. They have songs. They have stories about the day the crusaders came in into our town. And I mean, you talk about not letting something go. These people are still so, you know, they're just still ticked off over there all the time. And every culture, whatever it is, has their own little idiosyncrasies. This is the big thing with them. They want to know that you know who you are and where we all came from. So let's read this. Again, it's not as painful as Stephen. Now. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand. We don't know what that means. da I don't know. <laughs> Apparently he had some Latino in him. Da-da, speaking with their hands. And he said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, uh, listen to me. And, uh, and there were a lot of Gentiles that were hungry for God. And you have to understand, this is a period of time where people are desperate, desperate to find a meaning for life, all right? Uh, now, people have always been basically desperate to find a meaningful life. We don't have as much of that today because we have so many distractions. People have diversions, you know, right? And it's constant. There's people, we, there's something constantly going all the time. Radio, my phone, <laughs> TVs, you know, something is always going on and noise and racket. And our, Your kids, you know, as soon as they get in the car, Turn on the radio! How about you shut up and sit quietly for five minutes? You know? No, no, they go crazy, okay, they, they gotta have that noise. Distract me, distract me. A lot of adults are like this said, there's people, maybe some of you listen to me, I mean, you're so tuned into this, they can't function without the television on all the time. They can't go to sleep unless the television's on. I know a lot of people like this. I know a lot of unbelievers, particularly, who are like this. They don't want to be listening to their own thoughts. Because it reminds them of where they're at. They're a mess. So there's, we, there's so many diversions. Uh, when I was growing up, back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth, there weren't so many. Okay? Do you remember? There were like three TV channels. I didn't know what all the other Dobbs were for. What's all this? There were three. Actually, in Nielsville, you only could get two. Unless you got a big Yo Mama antenna that looked like we were invading the Russians or something, right? This massive, and we finally got a big house, and my dad, you know, the doctor got a big Yo Mama, and finally we could get lacrosse. We were up to three channels. This was a big deal. I just left my house. I've only got seven hundred and fifty channels to choose from. I don't know what to do. And what's amazing, you still can't find anything to watch. But there was constantly that, and the phones, and the you know, you can go anywhere. You never escape anything. When I'm flying around, you know, on the phone, the, the 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 planes have Wi-Fi now, so I'm still emailing and you know listening to stuff constantly, you know, just whew. again that's some of the diverted, I like being diverted because I'm a simple man. But I'm just saying, in the world today, there are so many people. I think one of the reasons they are not more aware of their need for spirituality is because they have so many diversions. It is overwhelming. Everything is constantly coming at them and they never have to stop and think. And I really encourage you, learn to be quiet. Not just you be quiet, but stop all the crazy. Turn the things off. Be still. You're not going to die. You think you're going to die, but you won't die. Start with 15 minutes. Just get alone. Pray. I don't know what to say. Then just sit there. Just be quiet for a little bit. Don't have this assault. And teach your kids They don't need to be having this constant insanity going on. My house. The grandkids come over, all right? You got six monkeys bouncing off the walls. And then they have the TV going full blast. Nobody is watching the TV. And it's gotta be like the cartoon channel with all these sounds that just drive me insane. It doesn't end. And I look at my red-headed wife and say, why do you have the TV on? Because they're watching it. No, they're not. It was going to, finally, I go up and I hit mute. Or I shut it off and all of a sudden the kids go, why'd you turn off the TV? <laughs> You're not watching. Yes, i are. Yes, we we'll sit down and I'll watch it for three minutes. And am pretty shut The first thing I do when I walk in the house, grab the TV, shut it off. Chris. Christmas. Try to teach your children (laughs) to be quiet a little bit. Listen, grow spiritually. Anyway, that's today. This is 2,000 years ago. They don't even have the three channels. They have cassette players. They got nothing. You wanted to hear music? You actually had to find a musician. What a concept. You know, I mean, if they, so they were alone with their thoughts constantly, all day long, all night long, which to a great degree is a good thing, and these people became more self-aware of the hole that was in them uh, because they were without God, and these people were desperate, and these, they were very religious people. Now, they tended to be into all kinds of weird, psycho-crazy religions, Right? sacrificing to idols and doing all kinds of stuff. They weren't doing this because it was cool. They were doing it because they were desperate. Why are we here? What are we doing? The heartache and the pain that they experience, you know. I mean, we, you know, thank God, we're in a very blessed nation. and We have all access to doctors and stuff like that. You take away the doctors, half of us in this room are dead. Starting with me. Okay? I mean, it's the reality of it. You just came back from Myanmar. You described... Well, your wife had gone through and they told you while well, she was here, she'd have been dead. Yeah. You're just, you just die. Two-day walk sometimes to the hospital. You know, and they just die on the way. I mean, it's just your appendix, like my appendix, whatever, went nuts when I was 11 or something like that. I'd have been gone. It's just people died all the time. But the only time you still see this is in really, really poor countries, which interestingly enough, tend to respond very much to the gospel. Yeah. Why? They're desperate. The diversions stop and they become more aware of their soul and their heart and their need for something more. Uh, So anyway, it's in this context that when Christianity started getting spread, people went crazy and grasped onto it. So there you got these Gentiles. He He says he's speaking to the Jews and to the Gentile worshipers. What does that mean? Remember, the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. But these guys were desperate. And they would see the Jewish people Worshipping a god that seemed to make more sense than sacrificing to a you know stone chicken or whatever the heck they had that they were doing and all kinds of the weird things, so they would see this healthy connection with God, and they would come and they would just sit and listen. They weren't allowed in; they couldn't be a part unless they converted to Judaism, which means they had to be circumcised ah! and you know all the other stuff that they went through. It it was no small deal to convert. So, but so every time they're talking to these. Uh, Jews, they were surrounded by these Gentiles who are desperate for God, who were on the edges, watching and listening. When they heard the good news, the Jews, many Jews believed, but then the Gentiles believed, and they went nuts. And they went and they told everybody, man, you can experience God. This Jesus, this thing, I mean, this, and also, to put it into context here, as these guys are traveling through here, you know, Again, they walked there on another missionary journey. It's not like you can't get there. It's just, you know, compared to our day, I ain't walking over there, you know, but that's what they did. Well, Jesus, I mean, John the Baptist is here. He's doing all this stuff. Word of that spreads everywhere. They all knew about it, which we're going to see here in just a minute. When Jesus did his miracles, he was only there for three years doing stuff. Now, he healed thousands of people and did miracles that were off the chart. They all had cousins, brothers, sisters, aunts, and the new people, and it spread everywhere. Everybody had heard about this Jesus that had come, and then the news of the resurrection, even though the local Jews had conspired to kill Jesus and crucify him, I mean, this all spread over, so they're all like, you know, even though this is, you know, you know 10, 20 years later, so it's like that's like the 6 o'clock news of these people. They had all heard this stuff, So the ground had been greatly salted, if you will, and seeded, not salted, (laughs) seeded. Salt kills things. (laughs) Seeded. So they were really hungry for God. So I think that's why when these guys came and started preaching and making clear what God was doing and why Jesus had come, they latched onto it like crazy. It wasn't just something never conceived of before, which you'll get more of that today. I mean, these people living in our noisy culture who've never really heard what Jesus is at all. They've, they've never understood this stuff. Uh, I would argue that these people were hearing a great deal of all these things and it was just tinder, ready to go. And when Paul and these guys came and laid hands on somebody, he got healed or this one guy went blind because he was fighting them or it was like just pouring gasoline on the tinder and lighting imagine, and boom, boy, did it take off. So he stands up, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship gods, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. Here we go. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Really? They were slaves for 400 years, but he's giving the mini version, which I'm thankful for. They eventually prospered because on the way out, they took everything with them. That's really what he's referring to. For 400 years they were miserable slaves. When the Egyptians they finally said let my people go and Pharaoh said okay, the Israelites went and cleaned everybody out. <laughs> took all their money, took all their gold, took everything, I mean they just plundered this place and split, they were the wealthiest band of nomads ever in the history of mankind. Remember they had so much gold, they were born and made a gold cow, right? Moses up on the mountain, where's he been? 40 days, oh, let's get making dance around a cow made of gold. I mean, crazy people, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So, he goes, but they came out, prospered when they came out of Egypt. And with mighty power, he led them out of that country, without a doubt. For 40 years, God had to endure their conduct, like dancing around a stupid cow, in the wilderness. And then he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, this is when they went into the promised land, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about... 450 years. That's about right. 400 years of slavery, whatever transition time, you know, 40 years in the wilderness, 10 years conquering. So his math is right on. okay? Now after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. You want to know about that? Read the book of Judges. There you go. That's where we get Samson and some of these guys. They weren't really kings or anything, but they were these people that just show up and do amazing things. Uh, So that was the time of the... uh, Judges, until the time of Samuel the prophet. Now Samuel the prophet comes along and it says, then the people asked for a king. That's an understatement. They whined incessantly. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And God is saying to the prophet, you don't want a king. A king is a bad idea. A king will beat you, they will tax you, they will impose, they'll take all your gorgeous daughters for themselves. I mean, he went out and said, you don't want a king. And they went, but everybody else has a king. It's like talking to teenagers, right? You know, it's like, you know, Johnny jumped off the bridge, I should jump off too, you know. So finally, God said, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. So he, people asked for a king and he gave them Saul, Saul who... Paul the Apostle was named after, actually. Saul, son of Kish, is the first king. He turns out to be a disaster. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, because he was a disaster, he made David their king. We all know David. David and Goliath, the young guy, grows up, wonderful guy. He says, God testified about David, said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Yeah, but then he does some things he didn't want him to do. (laughs) You know, like lust, lying, adultery, and murder. Not a good plan, but that's what David winds up doing. They don't mention that here. All right, from this man's descendant. What man? David. David is like the center of of the universe for them. There's there's some major points. There's Abraham, which is the big deal they start with, you know, the promise of Abraham. Uh, Then we got Moses. You know, woo, that's a big deal. Okay, and then we've got David King David so three of the major guys they focus on so from this man's descendants God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised you remember you're reading the Gospels They the people would always you know yell out at Jesus son of David son of David They knew that he was of the lineage of David. It was kind of a big deal It's like being related to the you know king or something like that And they all knew it because those people stood out and everybody let him know Uh, So he was a descendant of, of David Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Why is he telling them this if they don't know it? They know. They heard about John the Baptist. They'd heard about Jesus. This stuff wasn't done in a closet. This stuff that was done openly in front of multitudes, the Bible says, of people who undoubtedly spread the word everywhere about what was going on. What they all thought of it, they didn't really know. Remember, some thought Jesus was a prophet. Some thought he was a this, a teacher, you know, whatever. So uh, they'd heard about John. He, so he refer- references it. John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And John was comp- as John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for. Who were they looking for? Yeah, but the Messiah, specifically the Messiah is who they're looking for. Everybody's waiting for them. These people are desperate. Again, another reason why it went like crazy, even among the Jews, for thousands of years, they're waiting for the Messiah. Now, the Bible actually teaches us in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll get to that eventually, and we we'll get to Revelations, that they're still desperate for the Messiah, the Jewish nation, who by and large has rejected Jesus. And the Bible tells us at some point it will dawn on them that Jesus was the Messiah, and they will turn to him at the very, very end. We're not there yet. All right. Okay, so... Uh, Who do you think I suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham. There's another one of those major figures, the first one. And you God-fearing Gentiles. All these guys on the edge, desperate for something. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And they heard these words. So talking about the Sabbath, that it would be rejected of men and all this kind of stuff. And what he's saying is what you read about the Messiah being rejected, and stuff. that's what they did to Jesus. So even though they did it, they were actually fulfilling the prophets. Though they found no p- a proper ground of a death sentence, the Jews, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Again, they'd been hearing all this stuff. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now they are his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. In other words, this is it. This is what we have all been waiting for as Jewish people. This struck a deep chord in them. And at this point, again, that's why so many of them responded He says, as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And what Paul's going to do now is he's going to read a bunch of Old Testament scriptures that they all would recognize. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay, as God said. And he quotes again from the Old Testament. I will give you the Holy One and sure blessings promised to David. And so it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now some of them thought, well, maybe he's talking about David. But well, then Paul points out, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. In other words, he died, he was buried and his ancestors, with his ancestors, and he rotted like everybody else. So that's not who he was talking about, because he said, I won't let your body see decay. But the one whom God raised from the dead, this Jesus, is the one who did not see decay. That's why we know this is the one. Again, he's putting everything together for them. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now, that would kind of make them a little uncomfortable because they really, you know, they were so tied to the law of Moses. But to the Gentiles hearing this, they're going, really? Really, we can experience forgiveness? separate from this really complicated law and cut off the ends of our you-know-whats? <laughs> so they're listening to this. Now take care that, the pro- that what the prophets have said does not happen to you guys. And then he quotes, look you scoffers, wander, wonder and perish for what I'm going to do in your days that you would never believe even if someone had told you. You don't want to be one of these unbelievers that the prophets warned us about. So then he goes, on, he's, we're done with the sermon here. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, so that was his greeting. He got up, he goes through all this, he proclaims Jesus, all this stuff, everything we've been waiting for, everything that you've heard about that happened in Jerusalem, all this stuff that's been going on is now. This Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you very much, and he sits down. Wow, so these people are like blown away. So as they're leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Man, you gotta come back and tell us more. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, would that be cool? We'd have to rent out Lambeau Field. That's the only time people in the whole city get together is watch a pigskin get kicked around these people, just from what he had said, it spread through that city like wildfire. And when they got together on the next Sabbath, which is the Saturday, the whole city turns out. This is a big deal. Now, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And see, I think this is really the undergirding thing that really started ticking them off. And we've been Jews for thousands of years. We've been following Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the teachings of the prophets and stuff and we've only had some, you know, we get a little mini conference or, you know, some of the Gentiles kind of looking in, but you tell me the whole city now wants to listen? And it hits their ego. Which I think people got to be careful with. You know, I know today that there are you know, big mega churches in America today. A lot of people don't always agree with them. People always come to me and say, what do you think of Joel Osteen? What do you think about Who's the guy in California, what's his name? Rick Warren, what do you think about? It? Uh, I go, I don't know. I don't listen to him. I don't have the time. Who has time? I do what I do. I come home. I got grandchildren running around with the TV. Full, full, full blast. I come to church. I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat a quiche. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to go to bed. So I'm not saying you shouldn't listen. I'm just saying, I don't. I honestly don't. I do my thing. I preach. I teach. I'm, you know, apparently, people have a lot of... Air time. So they're always asking, what do you think about these guys? What do you think about And I don't know. Maybe some of them are a little wacky. I don't know. I'm sure people put me under a fine-tooth comb. I might show up in the wacky category as well. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that. You know, I'm not successful enough for enough people to hate me. That's how I know I'm not truly a success yet. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. You know you're really successful when you got a whole website dedicated to your destruction. <laughs> and we don't have the I Hate Mark Gunger website yet. We did, we, did, we did have a uh, I hate my gunger face page that popped up once. <laughs> ah, they took it down right away because you can't do that on Facebook. But on the World Wide Web, I still don't have anything like that insulting me, so I'm a little disappointed. So, but anyway, so some of these people say, well, because they're not teaching the Bible. I don't know. Maybe they're not. I can't help but think some of this is driven by jealousy because these guys draw tens of thousands of people. They have huge master churches, um, unless they're preaching something really contrary, uh, you know, I'm not going to go after them. I, wo- I don't approach things like they do, you know, uh, but everybody's different, and that's fine. Now, if someone's saying, Jesus is not the son of God, so, okay, now we got issues, but I just know some of these people that get so mad, I just kind of wonder, you know, Will Creek, because all the people have fits about him, I just kind of wonder if it's not based in jealousy. I don't know, just suggesting. But anyway, that's what happened here. They were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. So the week before, everybody loves him. Now he comes back. Now he's getting all this caca thrown in their face. Sorry, they know what that means. All right, so now. Now I'll have I hate Mark Unger website go All right. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, Hey, you guys, quit being back jerks. We had to speak the word of God to you first because you were the Jews. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Well, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. He's quoting the Old Testament now. He's really rebuking these guys. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were... Really glad. This is awesome. Because none of them wanted to do, you know, the thing and stuff like that. So, so they were excited. That we don't have to do all this complicated, you know, food, what you can eat and dress. And I mean, you talk about complicated. Look at the law of Moses. This is not a party. This is really complicated life. And when they finally said, man, you can experience God separate from that, the Gentiles lit up and the Jews started getting mad as a hornet. So the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. I'm sorry, wait a minute. When the Gentiles heard us, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So going like crazy. The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Bartos and they expelled them from the region. So Paul and Bartos shook the dust off their feet as a warning against them and went to Iconium. So, where are we? We're in Perga. No, we're at Antioch. and uh, So they kick him out. Say, ah, so they go to Iconium. So now they're over here, kind of looping back a bit. Uh, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so even though Paul was like the leading instigator and stuff, the, see the thing with Christianity, the message of Christianity is so simple, anybody can do it. Any of you can minister the gospel to people. Any of you can pray for people. This is not a priest-driven organization. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, I like it that you respect your pastors and stuff and you should and stuff like that, but I know a lot of people think, well, you know, if, boy, Pastor Mark prays for me, if I can touch Pastor Mark, that's really something. No, not really. Uh, (laughs) Although I am wonderful, I must admit. But I mean, it's, you know, (laughs) anybody can do this stuff, okay? Anybody can pray for it. Anybody can encourage me. I'm gonna be preaching a sermon on this in a couple of weeks. How we need to disciple people. You can disciple people. Well, I don't know enough about the Bible. You know enough about the Bible. I'll show you how you know you just help people to do life and encourage one another. Don't think you're not qualified. This is not something that requires a college degree. And the thing about Christianity, it is so simple. It really is simple. It was so simple. In fact, Paul writes later, he says, this is so simple, people can't handle it. They can't handle it. You know, they, they, they stumble over it because it's so simple. Because it's got to be more complicated than that. No, it's not. And the Christianity for thousands of years has tried to complicate it, Right? And make it more common. But at the end of the day, it's really simple. So, anyway, so he leaves, but they keep going. They don't need Paul to keep this going. Because anybody can do this. So they so Christianity keeps spreading like crazy. So at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual where? To the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of the Greeks of Jews and Greeks believed. Again, a lot of Jews were still believing. Uh, It it takes a while before it really shifts and Christianity is almost predominantly Gentile, which means not Jewish. But in the beginning, a lot of them are uh, uh, responding because, again, the atmosphere is so ready for this at this point. Uh, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews who hated their guts. Others with apostles. Although there were still Jews in that. Don't ever think it was always a Jew versus non-Jew because there were, again, in the beginning all Christians were Jewish. Now it's starting to spill out to the Gentiles but still many Jews believed. Now there was a plot afoot. Ha ha! Plot afoot. Isn't that like old English? Very Shakespearean. I believe there's a plot afoot. (laughs) For modern translation, I think it's rather odd. Anyway, there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat and stone them. So the word gets out, we're going to beat the snot out of these guys and we're going to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe uh, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So, they're doing great here, here. They come here. This is great. They're having to they get here. That's when people start getting ticked at. him. they kick him out. And they come here. And they get mad and kick them out. So, because some of the major players are going to try and kill them. Stone them, anyway. Which I presume means killing. So it winds up at these two cities. It makes them sound like they're close to each other. That's still quite a distance. But they're going through all this area. And they're preaching the gospel. Now, this is the very southern part of what is known as Galatia. Okay. Um because that'll be significant. Because so, we're about to jump, we won't make it today, but uh, to Paul's first epistle. The very first one was James, but the first one that Paul wrote was to the Galatians. And, uh, and oh, it's hilarious. Wait till you see this. This is highly entertaining. Okay, because uh, he's so mad. He's just seething. I won't ruin it for you. So Anyway, so... Uh, Where am I? I don't know where I am. Okay, so they continue preaching. Now, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked, which is what lame means, not your parents. All right? So, (laughs) my parents are lame, pray for them. No, that's not what we're talking about. So, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. So, he just listened to this. Now, here's a situation where we get the, they specifically says that, Paul really had no insight ahead of time something was going to happen. It says, Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. So Paul could see that and sense that in him. And he called out, hey, stand up on your feet. Here's a man who had never walked again in his life. These are are amazing miracles that happen. Again, it would have been a miracle if all of a sudden his legs got strong. But now he'd have to learn how to walk. Nobody's born that can just walk. Well, they would pray for these people who would never walk, and, they just start, and they're walking around. I mean, how does that even happen? We're really off the charts on this. So at that, the man jumps up and begins to walk. Well, the crowd saw what Paul had done. <laughs> this is really hilarious. This whole thing's going to be very funny. So the crowd saw what Paul had done. Well, they started shouting out in the Lyconian language, which I assume Paul and Barnabas did not know. So, you know, whatever common language they're using, was it Greek at this point, you know, probably in this area? So Paul spoke Greek and stuff, and these guys are all writing in Greek at this point. So that was their common language, and they also spoke Hebrew, and it would not surprise me; they spoke several languages. They were very multilingual. In America, you're looking have some bilinguals, you know. America, we're really dumb when it comes to language. You go to Europe, you go to Africa, people routinely speak six, seven languages. It's stunning, it really is. It's just not our thing, because... We gotta watch TV, all right? So, so they start screaming out in the iconian language. And I assume they don't know, and this is what they're yelling because they see this miracle. Here's what they shout: The gods have come down to us in human form. These are Greeks. They believe in the Greek gods. So, Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Well, Paul and Barnabas they don't know jack, right? They're preaching the gospel. They heal this guy, and everybody's going, oh, go. and Paul would go, Yeah, this is cool, this is great, this is bad, this is out. They have no idea that they think they're Zeus and Hermes. So this spreads throughout the city, everybody's going crazy, and then the chief priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Because they think they're demigods. Paul and they think. We're going to have a barbecue. This is awesome. <laughs> a couple of brats, burgers. You know, woo! So but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what they were doing, they freaked. And they tore their clothes, which is just very Eastern culture, you know, dramatic stuff. And they rushed in the crowd shouting, well, stop! Why are you doing this? We're only human like you, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things, these idols and junk, to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let the nations go their own way, yet he has not left them without testimony. And now look at the way Paul preaches to the Gentiles. When these guys would preach to the Jews, they go back, they relive the Old Testament, they quote all these scriptures and stuff. Well, that means nothing to these people. Which I really encourage, but when you share the, don't get freaked out that you can't quote a whole bunch of Bible verses. Quite frankly, it's not likely to make a whole lot of sense to whoever you're trying to talk to anyway. Just speak plainly to people in a way they understand. Now at some point, hopefully you can share Bible truths with them and whatever. But I remember they used to drill us, if you're gonna preach the Bible, you had to learn the Roman road. Gotta memorize. Parts of the book of Romans tell people you know by grace ye are saved and you know the wages of sin is death and you know we had to to memorize on so we could quote it to all these heathens which by and large most of them went what they didn't know what they were talking about okay so we were a little slow on that but anyway so he speaks in very simple. this is how he preached God has shown his kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons that's how stuff grows he provides you with plenty of food fills your hearts with joy Oh, all that I get. Well, clearly there must be a God that makes something happen, right? He's not quoting lots of verses Adam of him. He's just trying to relate to them in the most simple of ways. Well, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. (laughs) Now, this is the funny part. Well, actually, it's funny so far. But now, this is really bizarre because now then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and win the crowd over to them. So they're over here partying, woohoo! And then these guys are following Paul just to make his life miserable, because they're hearing that he's having all the success. So like, let's go get them. So, so he goes. So one minute the crowd is yelling, "It's Zeus and Hermes! Let us have a party in their name!" Woohoo! Well, these Jews show up and won the crowd over, and then they stone Paul. We're talking a fickle crowd here. Right, one minute they're demigods; the next minute they're stoning them to death. So they literally stone Paul. I don't say anything about Zeus. <laughs> Maybe he took off. Ah, you know, so poor Paul gets the snot kicked out of him, and they drag him outside the city, thinking he was dead. He really got beat really badly. But after the disciples had gathered around him, and undoubtedly they prayed for him. Boom, he gets up, and he goes back in the city. I would not go back into that city. You stole me to death, I'm going back to Stevens Point. I'm telling you, all right? So, the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, I bet, all right? So, this is all in Lystra here, and then he goes over to Derby, and uh, that's the home of the Kentucky. No, no, it's not Okay, okay. so they preached the gospel in that city, one over a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they just start retracing their steps. I'm sure they were doing that quietly because a lot of people were waiting to kill them. Uh, they were strengthening disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Something you don't hear a lot of today. <laughs> God just wants to bless you and make you happy and give you everything you want. Mm, That's not exactly right, all right? God does want to bless you. He doesn't want to answer your prayers, but you will go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. If you're going through a hardship, there's not something that's wrong. Why is this happening? Something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even the stuff that we've been going through, I never once stopped and said, why is this happening to us? Why is my wife sick? Why have we got a list of stuff that's crazy we've gone through over the last 42 years? I don't think I've ever started, why is this happening? I just, I knew why. Because through many hardships, we will enter the kingdom of God. It's through the testing of our faith that our faith is strengthened. It's through this stuff. Now, personally, I hope the tests are done. I don't like the test. No me gusta. No, nunca. But apparently, even at 60, you don't get away with this. So, the tests keep piling on. All right, so many hardships will enter the kingdom of God. Then Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom he, they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, which is, drew up in here, Antioch, same thing. Uh, they came to Pamphylia, which is there. And then when they preached the word in Perga, which is in Pamphylia, this is the country of Pamphylia, Perga, which they came in. Uh, where am I? My eyes are going out. <laughs> Uh, there they went down to Attilia. Where the ex Attilia? Hey, where's the map? I don't know. Anyway, it's around there somewhere. From Attilia, Atalia, where's Atalia? Where? You see it on there? Oh, over here. Oh, it was a snake that had bit me. I was waiting for a big move here. They just went next door. Detail that makes no sense. All right. So they go to Attilia and they grab the first speedy boat going five knots an hour. <laughs> Look at them go. And, uh, and apparently they went back to Antioch. So then they cut across here, which was still, even if five knots, was faster than walking. And that's it. That's the end of their first missionary journey. From Attilia. they set back to Antioch, okay? On arriving there, they gathered the church together which is a big church in Antioch. This, this is really the, you know, the Rome, if you will. i use that analogy, you know, like the center of the Catholic church, I think it's Rome up here, but this was really the heart, not even Jerusalem. This is the heart of Christianity as far as these Gentile believers were concerned. So a lot of them all gathered together Uh, where am I? Gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. All right, that's the end of chapter 14. Then we'll go to chapter 15. Chapter 15 is like this whole thing with Jewish people, Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians comes to a major head. We see that boiling of this in the letter to the Galatians, okay? Uh, Which will be where we will jump to next. And we will jump in, where am I here? Galatians. And uh, now what happens with the letter of Galatians? Now, you have to understand a lot of time has passed here. You read the book of Acts and it's like this all happened over a couple of months. Well, they were, this first missionary journey took like two years, okay? Okay? I remember when we first talked about how, how Paul had been converted at Damascus, and then he was out preaching the gospel. And I remember saying, you know, man, well, here's a guy who really understood the scriptures. quick for him. But I forgot Galatians. Galatians, he starts telling us it was really a lot. It was three years before he finally went down to meet the guys in Jerusalem, which he's going to tell us in Galatians. Galatians gives us more detail that uh, Luke, who writes Acts, doesn't tell us. So you get the sense that this thing's happening like boom, 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 boom. And it's really, there's years that are going through here. So he does say they're in, back at Antioch for a long time. Well, long enough that, remember, who's following everywhere Paul goes? These Jews who are really ticked and horked. They're not really mad about Jesus, the idea of Jesus. That's not what offends them. What offends them is the idea that you could become a follower of God without obeying the Old Testament rules. And that drove them crazy. It is ultimately the main reason they reject Jesus as the Messiah, as basically a whole nation and culture. People say, well, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. That wasn't the problem. If anything, everything that had been happening there screamed to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And they didn't get offended. I mean, there's times where he's preaching. We'll, we'll see it in the book of Acts. Other places they preach. Talks about Jesus being the Messiah. God raised him from the dead. Everybody's just happy, listening to everything he says. And then he starts talking about the Gentiles being able to be. And that's when they went crazy. And they would scream and holler and they'd go after him and stuff. Uh, so there, were, there was a posse of people. Uh, the Jewish guys, some of them claimed to be Christians. They believed in the idea of Jesus the Messiah. But they followed everywhere Paul went. And started convincing them all that the only way you could truly be saved is to become a Jew. They had to get circumcised. Okay? Yikes. And and they had to obey all the rules and everything else like that. So the whole time they're back here, these guys are going tracking everywhere he went and as skillful as he could started confusing all of these new believers with this idea that you have to be a, a Jew, and you have to follow the law, you have to be circumcised and everything. You'll see the word circumcision <laughs> over and over and over again. Someone last week said, man, they were sure obsessed with their wieners. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's just, it, it, what, what that meant to them was obeying the law. Becoming, they'd say circumcision, which did mean the interviewer, woo-hoo. But, it, uh, they, uh, but they were really pushing this, and Paul finds out that they're all getting sucked into this hole. After everything he had done, these guys are successfully turning them away from the simplicity that is in Jesus and starts making it complicated and turning them into Jews. And he is mad. He is seething with anger. When he writes this little letter to the Galatians, he's beside himself, and he writes this simple little letter. He is so horked, and it's really rather funny. Parts of us are quite hilarious, actually, and, uh, and we'll pick that up next week, okay? When we come back, we'll open up the book of Galatians, and we'll start taking a good look at what Paul says. Paul is shocked that this is happening, and he is so mad. It eventually leads to this big council in Jerusalem where they have to settle this question once and for all. That's what happens in chapter 15. But we want to break away because we want to talk about how Paul is responding to this and the arguments that he made about it. And then we have this big council and that's where they finally decide forever that what we as non-Jewish believers have to do. And there's very little and it's very simple. Again, the Christian message of Christianity is very simple. Uh, But interestingly enough, the Jewish Christians, all they're saying is that we didn't have to do it, but they still did it. They remained Jewish, even as Christians, till the day they died. I mean, they followed all the rules, everything else, and they just saw this big distinguishing trait between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. It's kind of like a big segregation thing, if you you want black believers and white believers kind of thing. Close, but it's really stronger than that. I mean, it's really religiously based, it's really culturally based, it's very, very stronger than anything we experience today. This is a big deal. Uh, I think it's sad, because as a result, what eventually happens is the Jewish church starts to just keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. We'll read, like when we get to the book of Hebrews, that's written again to Jewish Christians. It's really brilliantly you've written. Uh, a lot of Old Testament references and stuff. But historically, about, it took a couple of hundred years, maybe 300 years or something. But eventually, it became almost non-existent. And that's why from then on, there was this big distinguish between Christians and Jews, even to this day. Now, we do have, there are a fair amount of Jewish Christians even today, but they're a very, very small group. Uh, but again, in the beginning, it was all Jewish Christians and non-Jews, then it just goes like this, and they just eclipse them, and they finally, they fade out. Uh, uh, it was difficult for the Jewish Christians because they were under a lot of heat from the other Jews who were upset at what the Christians were saying over here. And it caused all kinds of problems. So so it's a big deal. So we'll get into Galatians. Seriously, you will enjoy this. It is hilarious. and, And it's really insightful on how he lays out in no uncertain terms we do not have to do the big fat part. All right? Of all these rules and regulations, it's called grace. Thank God for his grace. All right? Okay, that's enough for tonight. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.